I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Friday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. Every once in a while, I ask you to remember a name. We've had a few of those names over the past year. You and I have been spending uh, these afternoons together. I want to add uh, a name to that list today. Here it is. Heather Lucky Penny. Heather Penny. Nickname or call sign, as it's called in the Air Force, uh, Penny. Lucky. Heather Lucky Penny. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, news was scattered. There was confusion. Folks didn't know exactly what uh, was happening. What was apparent, though, was that we were under attack. When word first made it to Lucky's uh, squadron there at Joint Base Andrews, it was that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. And immediately they all looked around, kind of rolled their eyes and thought, one of those little Cessnas got out of whack, some pile, that's too bad. And then a second plane, and that's when they knew that they were under attack. And then a plane crashed into the Pentagon. And it was at that moment that Lucky, Heather Lucky Penny's commander, Colonel Sassville, Sass is his call sign, uh, said, Lucky, you're coming with me. Now, what did that mean? You see, Lucky was an F-16 fighter pilot. She was attached to a training squadron, uh, the first of its kind, or rather the first female to serve uh, in that squadron. There at the D.C. Air National Guard, uh, the 121st Fighter Squadron, a training squadron, she uh, was told by her commander, uh, Lucky, you're with me. You're coming with me. The thing is, in 2001, uh, F-16s that were there uh, on the runway were not prepared to uh, engage combatants at a moment's notice. They weren't armed uh, with live ammunition or missiles. And yet the belief was that there was one more inbound flight and that it was destined to go down somewhere, Washington, D.C., maybe, and it fell onto the shoulders of Colonel Sass, Mark Sassville, and his subordinate, Lucky, to get in their aircraft, to bypass all of the checks that happen on aircraft, to scramble, and to take to the sky and to hunt down what we would later know as United 93. So Lucky, she runs to her aircraft, she puts uh, on her, her flight suit, doing it as fast as she can, uh, and then she she starts to do uh, like a pre-flight check. Sass says, Lucky, what are you doing? There's no time for that. Get in. So they each got in their aircraft and started uh, talking back and forth to one another, making a plan. Sass said that his intention was to uh, go for the cockpit. Lucky, 25 years old, Her father, a fighter pilot in Vietnam, at the time he was an airline pilot in 2001, lucky in the early years of her own fighter pilot career, 
Uh, she said, I will go for the tail. Now, what's that mean? I will go for the tail. You, you don't have guns. You don't have missiles. The only weapon you have is the aircraft itself. And what Lucky knew from the moment she was told by the Colonel, Lucky, you're coming with me, was that as she, on the morning of September 11th, 2001, took to the sky, that she was, if her mission was successful, uh, would not be returning to the ground alive. She would never again see her her family uh, or her uh, fellow airmen. And she took to the sky without hesitation. The mission was to hunt down United 93 and to bring it out of the sky before it caused damage and destruction and death in Washington, D.C. Well, they didn't encounter the aircraft. We know it went down in a field in Pennsylvania. And so Lucky survived that day. In fact, she stayed in the sky, one of the only aircraft up in the sky, directing other aircraft down, patrolling the airspace over Washington, D.C., At one time, she had a a mission that day, which was to escort Air Force One. She since has gone on to have a long career. She uh, did two tours in the Middle East. She retired after 20-some-odd years in the Air Force. Then went on to have a career at Lockheed Martin, where she is now, working on the F-35 project. The F-35, which calls Utah's Hill Air Force Base home. And each September 11th, uh, of course, I think about when, uh, what I was doing. I was in math class. Uh, yeah, Mr. Coates, Marty Coates, Marty the Party, we called him. He didn't like that, us using his first name. I, I remember where I was, and I'm sure you remember. And those are some of the thoughts that go through my head, where I was and what I thought. But I also remember the heroism of Lucky, of then-Lieutenant Heather Lucky Penny. She's a hero. She's a hero. She doesn't see it that way, though. And she talks about the members of the flight, the passengers on United Airlines Flight 93, as the true inspiration. What's inspiring about their actions isn't just the incredible magnitude of their heroism. It's in the totally ordinary, everydayness of the heroes. Think about Flight 93. They made the decision to sacrifice their lives, attacking the hijackers, fighting their way into the cockpit to seize control of the airliner and crash it into the Pennsylvania countryside before it could reach our nation's capital. But when they boarded Flight 93 that morning, they were just going on a business trip, coming home from vacation, going to see Grandma. They... We're just like you and me. We all have that totally ordinary, everyday hero inside of us. So why wait for a national crisis to bring that hero out? Don't we need everyday heroes every day? Heather Penny is a hero. Heather Lucky Penny is a hero. Remember her name. We'll take a break. When I get back... I'm going to introduce you to Commander Freight Colbertson. He was on board the International Space Station on the morning of September 11th and observed what was going on here on Earth from up above. His story next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. I was in math class. 
in high school when a voice came over the PA system saying that there had been an attack on New York City. The teachers didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. Uh, and so uh, I was in math class, and our teacher, uh, Marty the Party, was his name, Mr. Coates, Marty Coates, uh, good guy. Uh, he walked out of the room for a moment, and he came back wheeling in one of those uh, big giant tube televisions that stood atop the wheeled rack. Remember those? Uh, they had a little power strip on the side. He plugged in uh, the cart, switched on the TV, and uh, navigated the channels over to uh, some news station. And there we sat for uh, some time watching the news of September 11th, 2001. I was in high school at the time uh, in western New York, far from the the attacks, uh, hours by car. Uh, and so we were in no uh, danger, so it turned out. We didn't know that at the time, though. And so the school decided, all right, send everyone home. And so we went home, and uh, we all went over to Mike's house uh, because, well, all of our parents were at work, and uh, Mike's house had two TVs in it. (laughs) And so we were able to watch two news stations at once, and that's where uh, I sat and observed the events uh, and felt my own heart break uh, on September eleventh, two 2001. I, as the years have gone by, I try to think back on uh, that day, and I try to learn more and more about that day as the years go by. It's very easy for me to go back to the story I just told you of, oh, where was I? Uh, and you may be you know, having similar conversations like that today. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with uh, you know, reminiscing where were you on that day. Uh, but, but so much more uh, did happen outside of our own experience, uh, to include the experience of, uh, of a woman whose name I want you to remember. Her, her name is Heather Penny, Heather Lucky Penny. Uh, Lucky, her Air Force call sign, she uh, was a fighter pilot in 2001. She was 25 years old. She flew F-16Cs. Specifically, uh, she was part of a a training uh, squadron, uh, the 121st Fighter Squadron of the District of Columbia Air National Guard. They are based at Andrews Air Force Air Force Base, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. That's the Air Force Base where uh, Air Force One flies in and out of. So every time you see... Every time you see President Trump walking out of the White House, getting into Marine One, the helicopter, uh, it is very likely going to fly him from the lawn there to Andrews for him to board then Air Force One and go off to uh, whatever corner of the world be his destination. Well, that day at Joint Base Andrews, uh, word came in that a a plane had crashed into one of the two uh, World Trade Center towers. And uh, the, the airmen there, they, they looked around and kind of rolled their eyes and uh, presumed that it was one of those small Cessnas. And then not long after, another plane collided into the other tower, and they knew in an instant that they were, in fact, that we were, in fact, under attack. And that collection of airmen at Joint Base Andrews included Heather Lucky Penny and her commander who looked at her and said, Penny, uh, Lucky, you, you are with me. And that commander and Lucky, they went out to the tarmac and they scrambled and they got in their aircraft. And there's one interesting thing about the state of that aircraft as they took off. Well, first, I should tell you their mission. We had by this point known that two planes had been hijacked and crashed intentionally into the World Trade Center towers. Another plane had been hijacked and intentionally crashed into the Pentagon And there was intelligence indicating that a fourth aircraft 
a plane that would turn out to be United 93, had been hijacked and was on its way towards Washington, D.C. When Lucky's commander said, Lucky, you're with me, what he meant was that you are about to board an aircraft and our mission is to take down that fourth aircraft and, well, we are not at exactly a state of readiness to engage enemies right now. There is no live ammunition in our aircraft. There are no missiles attached underneath. The only weapon we have is the aircraft itself. Do the math. If you're the pilot of that aircraft and you use it as a weapon, you don't get to go home that day. Here is uh, Heather Lucky Penny describing the story of that day in her own words. On a bright blue September morning, I was sent on a suicide mission. That day started out totally ordinary and every day, just like everyone else. I was sitting in a meeting when the first tower was hit, but we didn't see the footage. So it wasn't until the second tower was hit that we realized our nation was under attack. I'm a young lieutenant, a rookie fighter pilot in my squadron in Washington, D.C. on the morning of 9-11. But we weren't an air defense alert squadron. We didn't have live weapons or missiles loaded on our jets, and we wouldn't get real missiles in time. We had to get airborne to protect. I was so eager and patient, but frustrated and angry because we couldn't get authorization to launch. Waiting. Just waiting. Lucky had a hard time telling the story for about a decade. But then uh, she realized that there were great lessons to be learned in both her actions and in what she observed in others. And so it was that she started sharing this story, and she continues it here. It wasn't until the Pentagon was hit. Mark Sassaville looks at me. Lucky, you're with me. Raisin, you and I go wait until you get missiles. Lucky, let's go. I run after Sass down the hallway to where our flight gear is. We're on a one-way mission. If we're successful... We won't be coming back. I'm zipping up my G-suit when Sass looks at me and says, I'll take out the cockpit. I would ram the tail. Scrambling our unarmed fighter jets out of Andrews Air Force Base, my flight lead, Mark Sassaville, and I took off and flew low over the Pennsylvania countryside, desperately searching for a hijacked airliner that we never found. We were a mission failure. The passengers on Flight 93 are the true heroes. Heather Lucky Penny here is a hero. She won't uh, describe herself as such. In fact, you just heard her say that the the real heroes uh, were the passengers on uh, United Flight 93. And she's absolutely right. But I would add her to that list of heroes. Uh, I want to hear you, uh, or I want you to hear uh, Lucky describe uh, her description of what is a true hero and the meaning of heroism. But first, let me tell you that an interesting thing uh, took place that day. In addition to everything that you've heard thus far, uh, her father was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. And he, after retiring uh, from the Air Force, he continued uh, his career in the sky uh, flying for one of the major airlines, specifically United Airlines. And he was based on the East Coast. There was a chance 
there was a chance that he uh, would have been the pilot of United Airlines Flight 93. Now, he was not, uh, but Lucky had no way of knowing that. And so as she sought out on that suicide mission, as she described it, the reality was not only that she would be losing her life should her mission be successful, she would also be responsible for ending the lives of all those passengers on the aircraft, including potentially her own father. Now, of course, the the math bears out. You need to uh, protect the the largest amount of people, and that was the, the motivation for this mission. But it went another way. The passengers got there first, and she describes uh, what it means to be a true hero. Uh, additionally, the meaning of the word heroism. I'm a fighter pilot. I've flown the F-16 in combat, been shot at, dropped bombs, and was in the Air Force for over 20 years. And in the time since that clear blue morning, I've come to realize that heroism isn't something unique or possessed by only a chosen few. The passengers on Flight 93 proved that to me. And the totally ordinary, everyday people who helped each other in the moments before the towers fell. The first responders who rushed into the buildings in smoke and debris. Not out. Random strangers coming to each other's aid in the streets. So many heroes. So many of their stories we'll never know. Heroes are those who run towards danger and not away from it. Everyone you have heard from today, uh, to include Lucky here, is a hero. She, the passengers of United Flight 93, and all those men and women uh, who were the first responders to rush into the towers, the ones who run towards the danger instead of away, are the heroes. That's the big takeaway for me uh, as I look back now 19 years on the terrible attacks of September 11th. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we return, uh, you and I are going to have a chance to talk. We're going to look back on 2020. I, I know it's nowhere near over, but a lot's happened so far. Can you imagine Can you imagine a day somewhere down the road uh, where you look back longingly on 2020? Think about that. I'll do the same, and we'll meet back here after the break on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. We are 19 years removed from the tragedy of September 11th, the attack on our nation by evil. September 11th, 2001, in the morning, everything changed. Everything, our outlook changed. The way we defend our nation changed. The way we interact with one another changed. Uh, I think some of that has been forgotten these uh, days, these divided days in recent months. But uh, hopefully today and hopefully uh, remembering what happened on September 11th and what happened uh, afterwards when we came together as one single nation. Uh, Maybe we can apply some of the lessons that we learned then in those days to today's days. I want to talk to you now uh, about another fascinating story from that day way back in 2001, 19 years ago. There is one person, there is one person uh, who has a story unlike anyone else's on that day, and that's the story of Commander Frank Culbertson. Do you recognize that name? If you do, you know that he, on September 11th, was the only American not on this planet when the terrorists attacked. Yeah, Frank Culbertson, Commander Culbertson, was a resident of the International Space Station. He, alongside two Russian cosmonauts, were there, were in space, when they learned of the terrible events which transpired on September 11th. 
Another thing that Commander Culbertson learned that day was that the pilot of American Airlines Flight 77 was a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, an early 70s graduate. His name was uh, Chick Burlingame. And it turns out that Commander Culbertson and the captain of that American Airlines jet, Flight 77, Chick, they were classmates together. They went to the U.S. Naval Academy together. From outer space, Commander Culbertson learned that his friend had been killed. As he started that day piloting American Airlines Flight 77. I'd like to remember our classmate Chick Burlingame, the captain of American Airlines flight that, of course, crashed into the Pentagon. Chick was a hero in my book, as were all of the Academy graduates who perished last week. And I think that uh, we should take a moment to remember them, as well as all of the victims of this terrible tragedy. That was Commander Freight Culbertson speaking from outer space about his friend. He then went on to do something uh, beautiful. I want you to hear it. Uh, Commander Culbertson then, from the space station, he had brought along a trumpet with him, and he played taps. From outer space, as played by Commander Frank Culbertson, there is taps he played in honor of his fellow U.S. Naval Academy graduate, Chick Burlingame. As Commander Culbertson was in outer space during the morning of September 11th, he said of that friend, I learned that the captain of the American Airlines jet that hit the Pentagon was Chick Burlingame, a classmate of mine. I met Chick during plebe summer when we were in the D&B together. We had lots of classes together. I can't imagine what he must have gone through. And now I hear that he may have risen further than we can even think of by possibly preventing his plane from being the one to attack the White House. What a terrible loss. But I'm sure Chick was fighting bravely to the end, and tears don't flow the same in space. Ten years later, ten years later, Commander Culbertson, in an interview uh, arranged by NASA, he talked uh, again, looking back on his experience of that morning, he described how he felt. Starting to become emotional, and I realized our country was under attack. I was ironically halfway through a Tom Clancy novel about a similar situation at the time, and it almost put me inside the novel, which was a very strange feeling. Um, but as we listened and, and events on the ground were described to us by um, uh, our flight surgeon and then by the Capcoms, uh, it became very real. And then once... I saw it out the window, and we took video as the second tower was collapsing. Uh, I didn't know exactly what was happening, but I knew it was really bad because there was a big cloud of debris covering Manhattan. Um, that's when it really became painful because it was like seeing a wound in the side of, of, of your country. 
He then describes his feelings and what went through his mind during that tragic event. Initial reaction was shock, of course. How could this possibly be, in, be happening? And then as the reality sunk in, uh, uh, some fear that some family member or someone close to me might be affected by this, and then the realization that thousands of people really were affected, and then eventually that turned into anger at some point that someone would do this to us. And then, once Commander Culbertson returned to Earth, he describes how the country looked. The first thing that struck us when we got home was the increased security. We knew it was there and we knew to expect it, but the reality of it from when I left to when I came back, all the barriers up, all the additional security checks at the airport. At that time, going into any public building was even more onerous then than it is now. Uh, but, uh, but it really was startling how things had changed. and it, We clearly were a country at war. And lastly, in that interview with NASA some 10 years after September 11, 2001, uh, Commander Frank Colbertson he described how 9-11 affected him. I've met a lot of people that were affected by 9-11 in a lot of different ways. Um, so I don't count myself as special or unique. I just had a, uh, the privilege of a fantastic vantage point. Um, yes, there was some oscillation, but there was also a viewpoint that, that um, I will always be uh, blessed with. But um, I think it's important for people to, to continue to learn the lessons from this and make sure that we are in fact, making ourselves a better country as a result of it. Going back to his time in space, the day after September 11th, on September 12th, 2001, uh, Commander Culbertson penned a letter from outer space, memorializing his thoughts uh, and his experience. And he wrote, at 1934 hours, I haven't written very much about specifics of this mission during the month I've been here, mainly for two reasons. The first being that there has been very little time to do that kind of writing. And secondly, because I'm not sure how comfortable I am sharing thoughts I share with family and friends with the rest of the world. Well, obviously the world changed today. What I say or do is very minor compared to the significance of what happened to our country today when it was attacked by, by whom? Terrorists is all we know, I guess. Hard to know at whom to direct our anger and fear. I had just finished a number of tasks this morning and most time-consuming being the physical exams of all crew members. In a private conversation following that, the flight surgeon told me they were having a very bad day on the ground. I had no idea. That letter also uh, contains an expression of confidence. I have confidence in our country and in our leadership that we will do everything possible to better defend her and our families and to bring justice for what has been done. I have confidence that the good people at NASA will do everything necessary to continue our mission safely and return us as safely at the right time. And I miss all of you very much. I can't be there with you in person, and we have a long way to go to complete our mission, but be certain that my heart is with you and know you are in my prayers. In just a moment, I will post the full text of Commander Colbertson's letter, which he wrote from the International Space Station on my Facebook page. So make your way over there, Lee Lonsberry. Uh, you'll see the Live Mic logo in the corner. Feel free to, to read this letter. It's a powerful uh, script, and it comes from a very unique perspective. Quick break. When we return, we're going to talk about a disorder impacting children who suffer from the coronavirus. An unfortunate thing, luckily a very rare thing. That's next on Live Mic. I'm Dave Cauley. 
investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.